That is an intensely important question implied by that statement. Who am I? Why am I here? Who are you? Why are you here? Very basic, but deep, important questions. Sometimes we don't know the answers to them. Like if I came to you, I came to hey, Robert, who are you? And you'd say, oh, I'm Robert. Yeah, but who is that? Who is Robert? So we, some of us might choke up at that moment. Well, I'm a guy who does this job, or I'm a guy who's married to Dee Dee, or I'm a guy who, or whatever. I don't know. I, we, we didn't figure this out. I don't know what Robert would say. But sometimes we start naming our roles, our jobs, or our marriages and things like that. But yeah, well, who is married to Didi? Who is working at that place? Who does these things at the church? Who are you deep down at the core of who you are? After five or six layers of getting down to the core, sometimes we don't know who we are. And then if we don't know who we are as people and we gather together as, as a church, well, who is that? What is that? You see how this is vital that we know who we are? Because that from there is where we build our lives. The good news is, maybe you can answer that question really well, but we just gave you, Jubal read for you, in fact, one of the many verses of the Bible that tells you exactly who you are. I'm going to read it again, just because it's, not because it's one of my favorite verses, I mean, it is, but I want you to hear it, okay? I want you to see this. He, speaking of Jesus, is the image of God, the invisible God, excuse me, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. So one of the ways that you and I can define ourselves is simply this. I'm someone who exists at Jesus' pleasure. I was made for his pleasure. I was made because he wanted me to exist. Simple as that. I am created by Jesus, made for his glory. Now that, I want to pause on that. Because that is a life-changing concept. It ought to be, at least. If it's not, we're not thinking deeply enough. That I was made for God's pleasure. There was so I could, We could just pause and do a sermon series just on that concept. But just briefly, to touch on what that says to me, is that I'm here for a reason, and it behooves me to know that reason. And the reason is he just gave it to me, to give God glory. If you're following on the outline, number one, we are here for God's glory. What is glory? Okay, so that's a word we don't often use a lot. I mean, sometimes it might come up occasionally, the idea of being for someone's glory or something having glory to it. I mean, you might use the word awesome in the place of that. That was an awesome dinner. That was an awesome play. That song was amazing, whatever. What we're talking about is the glory of that song, that dinner, that experience, whatever it is. Sometimes people still say it. You'll be watching football and somebody will say, that was a glorious catch. In other words, it was an amazing catch. That guy who caught it, that, that, he's an amazing player because he was able to jump and catch while he was in coverage and all that, etc. You might use that word. In other words, it's the amplification, it's the lifting up and the praising and the awesomeness of the thing, whatever it is that we're describing as glorious. I have not made any glorious catches, but I have eaten some glorious meals, can you tell? <laughs> when we say we're here for God's glory, that means we are here, we exist to demonstrate how awesome God is. 
And some of us get mixed up on this. This is why I'm emphasizing this. A lot of us are trying really hard to convince everyone how awesome we are. I'm out there trying to get you to think I'm awesome. I remember when I first thought Crystal was cute, I thought, I better show her how awesome I am. Wait, I'm not that awesome. Hmm, I better convince her I'm awesome. How do I do that? <laughs> I better start glorifying myself. And you know how effective it is when guys try to glorify themselves. I quickly change strategy, <laughs> thankfully. Because I don't exist for my glory. And you don't exist for yours. You don't exist for your comfort. You don't exist for your dreams. You don't exist for all these things. Good as they might be, that's not why you were created. And the sooner we get a grip on that, the happier, ironically, we are in life. When we chase people glorifying us, when we chase looking at that bank account and going, that's a glorious bank account, when we chase the house, the stuff, the people, the things, it leaves us empty. It does not leave us full. When I chase the glorious meals, I get fat. It doesn't take us where we want to go. Because the house falls apart. Y'all saw it last week. I mean, the house didn't fall apart. I know this is a first world problem, but I'm going to go back to it again. We bought this new house. First time we ever had a freestanding house and not a condo. We're excited. What happens on day one of the new year? The water heater breaks. And I remember my friend, my, fr uh, my best friend, he lives in Oregon. He was the first among my friend group to like get the job and buy the house. And I'll admit that I had jealousy in my heart. He got married first. He got the stuff first. He bought a car first. He bought a house first. And I was getting all kinds of green with envy. And one day I come to his house and a light goes out. And he got all mad. <laughs> Pulls out a light bulb. Dude, Dan, houses are money pits. And he's angry about the light bulb. I'm like, how dare you wave a light, bulb, a light bulb in front of my face and be angry? You have a house. But then I got a house. And guess what? Yo, he's right. You buy, you have to maintain. It falls apart. It breaks. You get the car, guess what? The moment you drove it off the lot, its value began to decrease. <laughs> and it breaks down. I love technology when it works. Amen? How about you? Sometimes it doesn't, just to humble you. Things are great. All this stuff is good, but it comes with that little asterisk next to it. It's, <laughs> you got to consider that. When we chase everything for the peace in our own heart and the glory we might experience for ourselves of the perceived happiness, we must recognize it comes at its own cost. And there's peace to be found when we consider that maybe the chase is not why I'm here, but there's a deeper purpose. I'm here for God's glory. I'm here for eternal things. What is that about? Not for my fame, but for God's fame. Not to wonder at how great I am, because that will disappoint you. I disappoint myself, so I know. But for God's wonder, he will not disappoint you. The goodness of something on display, me or God, which is it? That's the choice. Friends, that's the choice every morning. When I get up, what am I doing? Why am I going to get out of bed? Am I going to chase that dollar? You guys remember that commercial? 
it, uh, maybe they didn't show it in California. I don't know, but it was it Progressive Insurance Hunt where the guy's got the fishing rod and the and the dollar, and he's like, oh, oh, you gotta move faster than that. And like, and keep chasing it, keep trying to grab it. Yeah, always elusive. Ever read the book of Ecclesiastes? It's a fun book. Everything that we chase for is like vapor. You can't grab smoke. Slippery, like a wet lizard. It's going to get out of your hands. You cannot hold on. So maybe you should chase something else. God's glory. People don't like that. <clears throat> I'll admit it. I don't like it. It's more fun to chase my own glory because sometimes I get those immediate responses. Sometimes I fool somebody into thinking I'm awesome and they say it. And I'm like, oh, great. I felt so good. Where's the next person that's going to say it? But here's the irony. I think I told you this recently, and you probably know it already in your own experiences. Ten people can come up and give me a high five and a compliment, and one person will say something critical. And guess what I'm thinking of Wednesday? I'm thinking about the critical person. Why didn't they, why didn't they think I'm awesome? How do I convince them? What do I do? It's a never-ending spiral. It doesn't work. Your life, therefore... Weird as this might sound, because the world has sold you a different story, so hear this. Your life is not about you. It's about God. Why? Because you were made for Him. All things, it's talking about Jesus, all things exist by Him, in other words, He made it, and for Him. Not you. If you want fulfillment in life, chase Jesus. Not the dollar, not the account, the cars, the houses, the popularity. How many people think you're cool? Chase Jesus. Chase his glory. Make his glory evident in your life. That will change, or should change, how you approach and think of everything. Will this card bring God glory or me? Will this ministry at church glorify me? Or Jesus. Sometimes, I, I, we, let's be real with each other. We don't think of it that way. We want to get by looking good. Sometimes I have felt unprepared to preach. And I've had to catch myself. God, I'm about to preach. Please don't let me look stupid. Please, 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 please. And not, there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, who wants to look stupid, Right? But one day Jesus tapped me on the shoulder, I'd like to think of it metaphorically, and said, is this sermon about you or about me? Oh, ooh, wait a whoa, oh, hey, hold on, hold on. Huh. All right, God, please let this sermon lift you up and make you look great. Cool, let's do that. And it's like God says, okay, there you go, you're starting, <laughs> you're starting. <clears throat> Those of you who serve in various ministries, why do you do it? So Jubal will get off my back. <laughs> Jubal sent me a little appointment. I got to teach kids. Oh, kids. Why did I sign up for this? Well, if I don't do it. Or my favorite one, I've said many times, well, if I don't do it, no one else will. <laughs> or do we approach singing, serving, turning knobs in that little back room, security, greeting kids of all ages as a chance, as an opportunity. I get to show how cool God is by doing this. 
It's true of individuals, it's true of us, and it's true of the collective that we call the church family. Our church exists. We exist for God's glory together. I've always felt it strange, therefore, and some people not here have tried to do it. I'm so glad not here because I'd hate to have this conversation. Um, you, you drive by billboards sometimes and you see advertisements for churches. And what do they have on that picture? They got their pastor up there in this nice suit, smiling. First of all, that will not attract a single person to this building. Let's not do that for me. Secondly, why? <laughs> do I want people coming to this church because I'm a good looking guy? Mm -mm. We, sometimes in our culture, we get, we like to promote the professionals in ministry. I, I hear it when people talk. Oh, that church. Oh, that's Dan Cook's church. Oh, that church. That da that's Dave Rader's church. Oh, that church over there. Yeah, that's Bill Cunningham's church. No, they aren't. They're God's churches. They're Jesus' churches. They're not, they don't belong to a single person, unless it's Jesus. That church exists, our church exists, for God's glory. Certainly not mine. Not anybody's here. We all know if we had to put a picture up, it would be Carl. We'd put his shot up there. <laughs> He's shaking his head. No, you wouldn't. <laughs> oh. It would be Darletta. Let's be real. Okay. It's not about us. It's not about me. It's not about anyone but Jesus. Let that change the way, another way that you come to the idea of church attendance and serving. When you got up this morning, you said, you probably said it to yourself last night, or maybe you just, it's this default thing. I'm going to go to church today. Why? Because somebody will call you if I don't show up? That's real sometimes. <laughs> if uh, you think God's up there with the attendance book, going, all right, who showed up at CLBC? All right, check, check, check. Oh, Dee Dee's not here. How sick is she? How sick is she? Eh. Okay, we'll, we'll put a circle. Sick. Okay. Give it a pass. All right. <laughs> What's God doing? What are we doing? I came because I hope to receive something. Dan better preach good. I came because I like the songs Jubal sings. I mean, I sing along. But... Is it about what we receive? Or is it for the glory of God? Not to say we don't receive. We do. But we ought to recognize that that is the side dish and not the main dish, if you will. The main dish is God's. It's for his glory. That ought to change the way we come up with policy and the way we pick direction and ideas that we're going to champion or not champion. When a church together decides that they're going to submit to the word of God and God's direction and do what the Bible says do and praise what the Bible says do and not what the Bible says don't do, that's how you know a church is about Jesus or it's about themselves. There are many churches who have decided that what the Bible says isn't really what the Bible says. 
you know, all the way back to that snake in chapter three. Did he really say that this is what marriage looks like? Did he really say this is what man and woman looks like? Did he really say? I mean, it's, in the, it's not in the text, but I put that whiny tone on it because it helps it make sense to me. Did it really say that, you know, Christ is the head of the church and not your pastor? And churches get themselves all twisted up and turned upside down and they start championing causes that the Bible says no about. That's not what I made you for. That's not what this is supposed to be about. And it becomes their whole personality. It becomes this whole thing, like this is the purpose of this church. You've seen them on churches' websites and statements of faith. Maybe you've heard messages or gone to churches and you've seen, this is what we're all about, acceptance. Oh, that's lovely. What does that mean? We've got to accept the word of God first. We've got to accept Christ as king first and start listening to what he accepts and how he directs us. Instead of starting to get into all these other things. When a church doesn't want to obey, the church has become about themselves. It blows my mind, for example. I know I've hinted at a few things there, but when you, when you get pastors that get up and straight up say, and I've heard this, that abortion is healthcare and Christ-like for us to support. I say we support people who need help but we don't point them towards sin. What are we doing? When a church values comfort more than its mission, what's that about? It's all about them. I heard somebody once say, I would hate to come to church one Sunday and find myself sitting next to somebody I don't know. And I said, really? I would love to show up on a Sunday and find a bunch of people that I don't know and greet every one of them in the name of Jesus and welcome them here. Oh, that person obviously is coming from some kind of sense of familiarity. It's about her, at least in her case. And that's an easy, easy trap for us to fall into. When we start doing church together and doing life together and we start to get comfortable with what is, and you know it, you know it. Somebody says, let's go share our faith. Oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. That's scary. I have to interact with people I don't know. What if they start showing up? What if people that start showing up aren't like us? They come from that other part of town. I like how clean and neat my church is. And then what if, it's coming to get ugly, guys. These people that show up have ideas and they start getting involved in ministry and changing the thing I do that I've done for 20 years. And now they start coming in. No, 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 no. Pastor, put them in their place. Huh. When comfort becomes more important than our mission, we've got it upside down. It's become about us. But when a church does the hard work for which it was made, seeking God's glory, deciding that that's going to be the rubric, the standard, okay, does this glorify God or not? Is this what the Bible says the mission that he's given us is or not? Basing our decisions on that, that's when a church decides they're going to follow Jesus together. 
instead of following our vices, our interests, our own passions and traditions. But you see how dangerous those passions and traditions are. There are a lot of them are really good. But is it possible for them to get in the way of the mission? It happens. It does. So we got to get our minds right. We have to constantly conform ourselves to Christ and how he does things and what his interests are. Because they haven't changed, have they? The stuff Jesus said in the New Testament, has he changed his mind since then? No. So it's good for us to look back and see in the New Testament when Jesus came to a bunch of guys He didn't walk up to these fishing boats where Peter and James and John and Andrew were and say, come with me and, you know, you can decide what we do along the way. Just just come with me and I want to hear your ideas. No, what did he say? Matthew 4.19. He said, follow me. He did not, sorry Disney fans, he did not say follow your heart. Follow me. Follow me. <clears throat> that's a lot more than walk this way. I'm going this way. Walk with me. That's a lot more than that. In, the, in Greek, the original language this was written in, duete opismo mu, what does that mean? It says, come behind me. And you're like, well, that's just the same thing, right? No, I want you to stop and consider, sink into that. Come behind me. When a rabbi, a teacher, a leader came to someone in those days and said something like this, he's saying, come spend your life with me. With me. Absorb my teaching. Learn from me how to live your life. And then when I am gone, it's your turn. Continue my work. Become my representative to the next generations. Come behind me. I'm leading. Come behind me. Become part of my movement and take over. This was and is a call to a new life. A new way to live. Recognizing, first of all, that it ain't about me and I'm living for God's glory. And thus, therefore, essential part of that is this. That we are here to follow Jesus together. We are here to follow Jesus together. God is here in the person of Jesus and I must conform my life to his. Therefore, how do I do that? I know him in his word. I submit to his word like I was saying earlier. I let it teach me. I don't teach the Bible what it says. I don't read it and say, well, I've unhitched myself from the Old Testament. I don't need it. (laughs) No, I say, okay, God, speak to me. And I don't argue. I say this as a person who argues. Okay, please don't take me as judgmental. I try to fight it sometimes. But we do better when we let him speak and we surrender to him. When we depend on him in prayer, when we don't say to ourselves, oh, I've got this. God's too big. He's too far away. No, he says, come to me and cast all your cares. So I'm going to cast my cares. I'm going to depend on him. I recognize that it all is about him and comes from him. And therefore, he has the solutions to the problems I don't even know have happened yet. Last week, God, your hot water heater broke. It's all God's, right? The car, the money, the house, 
our church, our very selves. <clears throat> we depend on him in prayer. We express that. We learn to say that to him. We thank him when things are the way we recognize are good. We thank him when things are bad. I know that's hard. But we recognize that he's active in doing something even then. We thank him for the solution that we don't see yet. We thank him for the resolution that we don't see yet. And if we know him in his word and obey, then we will be a part of the solution at times. Lord, please fix this relationship. And God says, I told you to apologize. Lord, fix this relationship. I told you to repent. Lord, fix that person. Let me be more specific. God says, I'm fixing you. Sometimes we're like that person. You may have heard this analogy for other things, but in relationships and other problems, so many different ways. We are like the person when the floods are rising and we get up on the roof and we say, save me, Lord, and then the helicopter shows up and says, get in. And we say, no, I'm waiting for God to save me. The water gets up to the roof line. A guy in a boat comes by, get in. No, no, I'm waiting for Jesus to save me. And then we drown to death. And we say, Jesus, why didn't you save me? I sent you the boat. I sent you the helicopter. I think so many of us may someday find ourselves face to face with Jesus. God, why didn't you fix this? Because I gave you my word and I told you what to do in that situation. <laughs> Don't look at me like it's my fault. I must make my decisions reflect the fact that Jesus is my Lord. He has told me what to do. He has told me how to behave. He's told me what kind of attitude to have in many and all situations. He may not give me exact details about when your car breaks down, go to this shop to get it fixed. He may not give you that, but he gives you the right attitude and heart to have and wisdom if I would just use it. <clears throat> Fix my kid, God. Are you the perfect parent? That's not the point. He made us. He made the kid. He made the house. He made the car. He provides what we have. He holds back what we don't have. It's our decision what to do with these things. He made us for himself. Not only made us, but he saved us. You ever just wonder in amazement at that? That Jesus lived with these disciples. He said, follow me to these guys. For three years, we think. And then was executed on a Roman cross. But on that cross, the Father in heaven poured out his justice on him instead of me and you. on Jesus who was absolutely innocent. And then having taken that sin on himself and dying in my place, he rises again from the dead and offers new life to all who will follow him. He's in heaven now on the throne, sending his spirit to call people like you and me to follow him today and to lead us in that process. You and I, we might not be those first disciples in the fishing boats, but the call to you and I is the same call. Passed down through history, through these guys' preaching and witness, all the way down to us today. So here's the question I, I need to start with you. Have you responded to that call? Have you turned 
to Jesus and said, yes, I will follow you. What does that mean? He's not out leading in Palestine for me. No, what that means is that you recognize that he is the king and he is the savior that you need. And you've begun to look into his word and learn from him and obey him and pattern your life after him. Not perfectly, no one of us, none of us does, but have you begun that, that journey depending on him? <clears throat> Do you recognize that following Jesus is not just you and Jesus, but it's what we do together as a church. That's why I worded that, that carefully. We are here to follow Jesus together. Together. There is so much in the New Testament that's in corporate language. We sometimes miss it because we don't use the these and the yees and all those, but so many times when you read the New Testament and it says you, it's plural in the original language. It's addressing a group. And I, I make that important to us because especially here in the West, in America, we like to pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps and be rugged individuals. And we say things without meaning to that kind of distract us from our purpose. Things like this. I have a personal relationship with Jesus. It's just me. Me and Jesus. It's me and Jesus. And uh, while that is possible, that is not the ideal for which you and I are created. He made us to come together, to be part of the family, to walk with him. I think I've said with you guys, um, those New Testament yous that are, that are plural, you guys have it right there in your language to help you understand it. It's y'all, right? Y'all. It's you all. Y'all. That's what it is. Literally, I was, I was listening to a podcast from a... Uh, very heady, like professor-like guy talking through the Bible, and he uses that every time it's, there's a you all, it's y'all. <laughs> it's, 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 it's together, it's you all together. That's how our life are, lives are supposed to be lived. We are not supposed to be lone gunmen for Jesus. You know what happens when people are lone gunmen for Jesus? They get a little kooky. Have you seen this? Look at it even historically. People who go into caves by themselves for 40 days, and come out with a new revelation, that revelation is usually kind of weird and often starts movements that we describe as cults. You're like, but Dan, Jesus went to, but he's God in the flesh. He can go and do what he wants. But when humans try to replicate by themselves, figuring things out, no, God, he brings people together to follow him. And it's vitally important. You need people and we need you. The simple truth and the commandment. Do not, how's it go in Hebrews 10? Do not forsake the gathering together, if only to keep you humble and, and remind you that it's not all about you. We are called. We are here. We are made and saved to follow Jesus <clears throat> together. You recognize that following Jesus is not just you and Jesus, but something we do is we help each other as a church. Jesus made these disciples a group, not just a bunch of individuals that he met with individually all the time. They were the becoming of a family. He started a movement when he started the church. We need each other. Now, a lot of what I'm talking about today is an overture over the next six weeks. We're going to be hearing and going into these concepts kind of more granularly, but right now I'm just introducing this idea that we're made for God, we are made to follow Jesus together. We're here to glorify him, 
We do that by following Jesus, and we do it together. It's not all about us. But let me finish that verse that I quoted only a little bit of, and we'll get into the last part of what we're for, here for. Matthew 4, 19. He said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. I will make you fishers of men. These guys were fishermen, and Jesus is saying to them, saying to them yeah, you've got that job. I'm going to give you a new job, a new purpose. That someday they'll be used by God to bring people into the kingdom of God. And that, my friends, is why we are here together too. We've joined into this movement that's all about God's glory and expressed in Jesus Christ and empowered by the Holy Spirit. This movement is about people following Jesus. Those of us who already are and us reaching out to new people who will come and follow Jesus with us. Being like Jesus means demonstrating God's character to the world in an understandable way and calling the people in the world to come out of the world and to follow Jesus Christ with us. Just one chapter over, if you're in Matthew, Matthew 5, 14 and 16 through 16, Jesus says, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket. Are you able to hear this verse without singing that song from Sunday school? This little light of mine, <laughs> put it under a bushel. No, I'm in the light of shine, right? Yeah, anyway. I haven't sung for you in a while, so I just gave that to you for free. Nor do people put a, light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory. What's the purpose of your good works? Give glory to your Father which is in heaven. Back to that again, because it is all about Him. We are here to have an effect on the world around us, an effect like light in the dark, to help those in need, to demonstrate God's character and His love, His mercy, His compassion, to spread His joy, to stand up for oppressed people who are truly oppressed, not so that we can look cool, so people in the surrounding Dallas-Fort Worth area, and look, oh, look at that church over there. Look how nice and kind and everything they do for the community. Oh, that's what churches should be like, especially that pastor. Look at that guy. Good-looking fella. He preaches, I saw this on a billboard recently, a positive, encouraging message every time he gets up there. Oh, that's so nice. It's so good. We are not here to make ourselves look great, but to make Christ look great. To point people to Jesus. To point people to Jesus. I love doing things in the community and helping people. But it's got to be to point people to Jesus. That's the reason we, we do it, because we love people and have compassion. And, but if you stop short of the pointing people to Jesus part, how much compassion have you demonstrated? Your stomach's full now, you're warmer now, but you're still going to hell when you die because you've rejected Christ. Oh, good job, Dan. <laughs> All right. I put a jacket on a homeless guy. That's a good thing to do. But where's this guy going? Why should that lady not get an abortion? What sh why should this person wrestle with their gender dysphoria and not just give into it? Why? 
because it's just right. Oh, that's really effective. <laughs> that's great. But if someone were to base their life on Christ and begin the journey of following Jesus, I imagine that a lot of this stuff will start to resolve. Because in my experience, the Holy Spirit is better than me of convincing someone how they're supposed to live. Just a thought. Maybe God's better at that. Yeah. But if we're relying on how nice we are to get people to do the right thing, we will see that fail repeatedly. But if it's about Jesus, we will see Jesus do amazing things in people's lives. <clears throat> so we must point people to Jesus. We do the good works, but we also open our mouths and say, here's why we're here. I have compassion because Jesus had compassion on me and has compassion on you, so much so that he gave his son. Excuse me, Jesus is the son. Sorry, maybe I should get my theology right. Okay, here we go. Back up one. <laughs> the son of God gave himself for you. Not to live in this, but to live in freedom and to know that you can live forever, eternal life. We just need to confess our sins and ask for Jesus' forgiveness, and he will begin that work. That's what this is about. Not membership at Covenant Life Baptist Church. Great as that is. <clears throat> Please sign here and start tithing. Amen? All right. It's about Jesus. Point people to Jesus. The ultimate goal is His glory, just like Jesus said. So, number three, we are here to invite everyone to follow Jesus with us. That is our purpose, to give God glory, to follow Jesus ourselves, and to invite others along onto that journey. If we're not doing this, what are we doing? I can find a lot of uses for my Sunday mornings that are not this, if this wasn't vitally important and important for the right reasons. Couldn't you? If we're not demonstrating God's character to each other in the world and inviting others to join as we follow Jesus for his glory, what are we doing? If we show how good God is to the world and tell people that they can have this same God too, that is our purpose. Now, churches stop doing this for a lot of reasons. You've seen it and I've seen it, right? Some churches, they might not admit it, but they just don't believe the gospel anymore. They no longer submit to scripture. They do whatever they want. So why would they be out evangelizing and sharing their faith that they don't have? Okay, that happens. Some churches get so comfortable with what's here and what's now and immediate, and they don't like change so much that the idea of engaging the culture around them and dealing with new people and their messing problems sounds more scary than it sounds good. So they just withdraw. They just withdraw and say, well, they know we're a church and we're here, so when God convicts them, they'll, they'll show up. Okay? And some churches are just discouraged. So many people they talk to refuse to repent. They don't come to church. They don't come to Jesus. So we wonder, what's the point? What's the point? <clears throat> and for that reason and for the previous reason I just gave, many churches, without meaning to, sometimes slip into ignoring the commands of Jesus and sidestepping them 
and assume that they'll just let the professionals take care of it. The people we pay. Pastors, associate pastors, youth pastors, and missionaries. Let them do the work. We'll just keep showing up and consuming and giving money and praying for them while they go do it. Right? Susie, I'm so glad you shook your head no. Because <laughs> that almost got awkward. No, and you see that in various ways. I mean, how many times have I been at church and, oh, here's a visitor. Grab him and drag him to Dan. <laughs> Bring him to the pastor. He'll fix him. No, I won't. Most likely. <laughs> hey, let's go out and do some door knocking. Make sure Dan comes with us. Put him, push him to the front of the door. <laughs> what do we pay you for anyway? Those missionaries, we send them the money, they do it. <sighs> and sometimes we make other excuses, like, oh, America's a Christian nation, so... We just send the missionaries beyond our borders and we're doing our job, right? I almost wasn't able to say America is a Christian nation without laughing or crying. Friends, the missions field is here. Right here. You don't like the politics? They're not going to change unless human hearts change. And humans aren't, human hearts aren't going to change until people come to Christ. And there's a verse in the Bible that in Romans 10 that I think you may have heard, some of you, that describe how people get to know Jesus. By someone telling them. That's us. Me, yes, and you. You, for one thing, are going to encounter a lot more people than I am. You're going to encounter people that you can talk to that I can't. You know how many times I've seen this one? Oh, hey, this is my pastor. And then someone's face goes... Mmm. Because they've dealt with some church trauma. And they've had pastors fail them. Now here's this pastor in front of me. A fat white one at that. <laughs> but hey, that person's your friend. Maybe they'll listen to you. Maybe they'll hear it from you. Each one of us, see I'm getting ahead of us. In a couple weeks we'll talk more about this. But each one of us should be able to tell their story of following Jesus. And be able to share it. Because you are a missionary wherever you are, wherever you're planted. People need to hear. And some people won't hear it unless you speak up. So speak up. Don't get discouraged. Most people will say, no, thank you. That's true. Most people will. Most people will be polite about it, so don't be so afraid. We're not told to convert people. I love this. I came from a, you know, an independent fundamentalist Baptist tradition, and they have, have a lot of phrases that are really unfortunate and misleading. How many people have you saved? Zero. Jesus does that, not me. How many people have you led to Christ? Oh, if by lead to Christ, you mean tell them about Jesus, uh, I can tell you about a few, but get them to pray the prayer? I'm sorry, that's not my job. The Holy Spirit does that. Only God can cause someone to be born again. I might be the catalyst to speak on behalf of God in the moment, but that's not up to me. I save zero people. 
You know how one of the big proofs of that? You and I, we can't even save ourselves. How am I supposed to save someone else? I need Jesus, and all I can do is say he's the one that saves. But we need to be the people that say he's the one that saves. Go get him. He's here for you. So I'm starting to preach week three. I'm sorry, I'll stop. I'll back up. More on this later. <laughs> but for now, let's get this foundational idea laid. For some of you, I bet this has been a good reminder. For some of you, this might be news. That's okay. The primary purpose of the church is to reach out into the darkness with the light of Christ. Therefore, the church must have a good foundation on Christ in order to reach out. The, the light will only penetrate as far as it is bright at home. So we must make this flame bright by personally following Jesus, <clears throat> recognizing that it's not about me, it's about Jesus. Then from that strong foundation, I can go out and call people to Jesus. That is a part of what it means to follow Jesus. And that brings glory to God. And that's what this is all about. Not my glory, or yours, but his. So as we close, please consider, this is what I'm inviting you to consider. What do you think the church exists for? Why are we here? What's the point of being a church? You and I might have had ideas that aren't God's glory, or following Jesus, or calling others to follow Jesus. We might have other ideas. And this morning is a good morning to clear the table a little bit. All right. You go out to eat, you get a steak, okay? Maybe some steamed broccoli and some potatoes. And then someone shows up with a fruit cup. Get, get, no, no, get that off. Get that off. Don't distract me from the meal. All right, this is the meal. It's right here. Some of us have steak, potatoes. Broccoli, bread, apple turnover, tortillas with fajitas. What restaurant are you at, man? Pork. And we just got all this stuff piled up. And what's, what's, what's the meat and potatoes? It's right here. Clear the plate a little bit. Clear it off. Are we individually and are we collectively? Accomplishing our mission. Let's consider that today and over the next six weeks. Give that some good, strong thought. Why and why not? Personally, are you participating in the mission that God has given us? Like I said, today was the overture. You know, you, when, when a play starts and the orchestra plays like five or six main themes that you're going to hear throughout the, the play. Today, this, that was it. We're gonna, I just highlighted some ideas that we're going to be exploring deeper over the next several weeks. But let's reflect, at least starting right here, on those questions I have asked. And let's ask God to open our hearts and our minds to his will for us, together and individually, over the rest of this series. Can you do that with me? This is basic stuff, but we need to come back to the basics over and over and over again. That's the reason they're the basics. This is our foundation. Why are we here? Who we are? We are here to give glory to God by following Jesus.
and calling others to follow Jesus with us.